This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Free agency week two has started. It'll be interesting to see how many more moves have big ramifications on the NFL draft and on terms of dynasty values. It'll be closely monitoring the situation. I hope everybody is staying safe, is doing the social distancing, and making sure them and their loved ones are safe and sound in this difficult time that, as a society, we are going through all together. I hope that you are finding some welcome distractions, whether it is the NFL free agency, focusing on the NFL draft, you know, watching movies and TV shows, you know, reading a good book, exercising whenever possible, and and just, you know, being safe in this time. Uh, so we're going to continue doing the podcast. As of now, the NFL draft is still scheduled for, uh, you know, the same time that it was. Obviously, they're still working out the kinks in terms of how it is going to be presented uh, but uh, we'll be here continuing to provide coverage for you at Saturday to Sunday. We hope that uh, we can be a little bit of a welcome distraction for you during these times. So let's get right into it. Obviously, since I last recorded the first podcast discussing free agency and the impact it had on the NFL draft and dynasty values, a lot more has taken place. So I'm going to go through the positions, position by position. I think that's the easiest way to kind of break this down and go from there. At the quarterback position, the only new signing since we last talked was Brian Hoyer signing back with the New England Patriots. I think where this is interesting, I think becomes in the scenario where what does that mean for Andy Dalton? What does that mean for Cam Newton? What does that mean for Jameis Winston? Sooner rather than later, Cam Newton is officially going to be released as well. You're going to have Newton, you're going to have Winston, and you're going to have Andy Dalton readily available in the trade. And I'm sure if they can't trade him, they will eventually then release him. I'm not sure there's a landing spot for any of these three veterans. If the Patriots have decided that they're going to let their quarterback depth chart look like Brian Hoyer, Jared Stidham, Cody Kessler, and maybe they invest in a draft pick, whether that's a quarterback sliding in round one of the main the big four, whether they like a guy like Jacob Eason at the end of round one, or they like somebody on day two, whether that's Jalen Hurts or Jake Fromm, it's going to be really interesting to see what they make of this situation there with New England. <clears throat> Personally, I think the signing of Brian Hoyer tells me that they're going to go to bat with Jared Stidham that they're bringing in Brian Hoyer, a guy who knows the system, has worked with Belichick, has worked with Josh McDaniels, and they're bringing him in as a guy to give more tutelage and more experience to Jared Stidham. I very much expect Jared Stidham to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots whenever week one of the 2020 NFL season takes place. So I think Jared Stidham right now is an intriguing buy in two quarterback or super flex leagues. I would probably put his value in those scenarios as maybe a, you know, mid to late second round pick if you're in need of a second quarterback. But I do think he's going to get an opportunity. You know, I was recently a 
guests on the Fantasy Joe's podcast, and I talked with Ryan and Will about Jared Stidham, and I said, this was a guy that was one of the top high school recruits in the country, went to Baylor, they fell on some hard times. He eventually transferred to Auburn, and Matt and I here at Saturday to Sunday have been saying for quite some time that we never really understood the moving to the Auburn offense. It wasn't a good fit for Jared Stidham, and we were confused as why they did it. Well, Jared Stidham, once upon a time, was looked at as a lock-solid first-round pick before his final season at Auburn. And then that final season was up and down. I kept coming on air saying he always left me wanting a little bit more, but I was very much intrigued with the skill set and the traits. And I still am. When the Patriots took him in round four, I thought it was great value. I was intrigued by him being the heir apparent to Tom Brady. I thought maybe a couple years down the line, not one year down the line. And now here we are, and I do think... It's going to be interesting to see what the Patriots do here. What's the long game? Is Belichick in this for another three or four years, or is he just trying to squeeze one or two more years out of it? Him not getting a veteran tells me, I think he's trying to be in this for more of the long haul, another four or five years. And he envisioned Stidham. You know, the word on the street is they look at Stidham very much once upon a time how they look like Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's going to be interesting now to see if Stidham gets an opportunity here to be the starter for the Patriots uh, I like his overall skill set. He did really good in the preseason last year, working another year of offseason with Josh McDaniels, you know, as much as they could do right now, obviously with, with everything's going on, they're not going to probably have much OTAs and mini camps and stuff like that. But it's going to be interesting to see how Jared Stidham performs there if he is the starter. In terms of the NFL draft, I think now if Jameis Winston Andy Dalton and Cam Newton all end up becoming backup quarterbacks. I think it opens the door for some interesting things on draft day. And right at the top, let, let's bring this in. There's some talks still that the Redskins could be in the quarterback market, whether it's Tua at pick two and not Chase Young, or there's been some rumblings about Jameis Winston to Washington. And there's been even more rumblings about Cam Newton, you know, uh, reuniting with Ron Rivera there. So that's going to be interesting because if they do any of those moves, what does that mean about Dwayne Haskins? Is he immediately put on the trade block? I'm not sure. I don't think a one-year deal of Jameis Winston or anything like that. But if they were to trade for Cam Newton, would they just put Haskins as their backup? If they draft for Tua, do they let Haskins play this year and Tua sits a year? So there's a lot of interesting scenarios. But right now, I mean, stock down on on Dalton and Winston, you know, and obviously Cam Newton. I mean, Jameis Winston was a QB1 last year. People were relying on him. And now you know, he could be a backup, you know, Cam Newton, when he's healthy, he's been a QB one, you know, sometimes a high QB one or mid QB one. And Andy Dalton could have been a QB two in super flex or two quarterback leagues. So all those guys value way down right now. It seems like new England's going to go with Stidham and Hoyer and see what happens. It seems like the chargers are going to go with Tyrod Taylor, which then turns my attention to the draft. I think Miami and the chargers, you can lock them in as taking quarterbacks in the top 10, whether they trade up, and make an investment, whether they stay where they are at five and six and make an investment. I think both of those teams are very much now going to get somebody. One's probably going to get Tua. One's probably going to get Herbert unless unless a team has love ahead of Herbert. Where the other one goes, I'm not sure. You know, it's going to be interesting because I don't see another glaring team in round one that needs a quarterback, but maybe the Las Vegas Raiders. 
you know, they're not committed long-term to Carr. They brought Mariota in on a short deal. So maybe the Vegas Raiders look, think about Herbert or Love if one of them's sitting there. Maybe the Patriots make a bold move up if they're high on one of those guys. So I think three quarterbacks go in the top six picks. I don't know if Miami or Los Angeles make a move up. But then it's going to be interesting where that fourth one goes. Is it the Raiders? Is it a surprise team? You know, is it the Patriots trading up? You know, not a lot of teams, you know, I think are in play there. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays itself out. I do think, though, on day two, there's a bunch of teams that could be looking at a quarterback. You know, listen, I don't even think it's had a room of possibility Jacksonville's in the quarterback market because I made my feelings known on Gardner Minshew on the last uh, podcast that I don't think they look at him as the long-term answer. So maybe Jacksonville's still in the market for a Herbert or Love. I'm not sure. Maybe they look at round two and, and think about a Jacob Eason or Jake Fromm. But day two teams that I'd keep an eye on, Detroit, Matthew Stafford, you know, is a guy that they talked about, you know, would Detroit be in the market? I could see them taking a guy on day two and maybe seeing if they could groom him to be the heir apparent to Matthew Stafford. Carolina, now listen, they just, you know, as of first thing this morning, you know, you heard that they signed PJ Walker out of the XFL, formerly played under Matt Rule. They signed Teddy Bridgewater, but I still would, wouldn't put it past Matt Rule in on day two to look at a Jacob Easton or a Jake Fromm to potentially run his system. I could still see the Colts on day two uh, if they want to invest in a quarterback to maybe be the guy after Phillip Rivers. So maybe they like Jacob Easton or Jalen Hurts or Jake Fromm. You know, so there's a couple teams. And like I said, if, if Vegas doesn't take one in round one, maybe they like one of those guys. Same thing with Jacksonville. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this quarterback market plays out. Is there any surprise teams that look to invest in a quarterback that maybe we're not thinking of? It's something that I think we're going to follow closely uh, as we get to the draft. And then obviously it be a big discussion post-draft where we see these quarterbacks end up. Because I do think there's seven quarterbacks going in the top 100. And trying to find landing spots in terms of teams gets a little challenging after you talk about the Bengals and after you talk about the Dolphins and after you talk about the Chargers. Those teams are coming away with a quarterback, but where are the other four going? I mentioned some possible spots, but there's going to be some surprises and wrinkles in terms of where those seven quarterbacks go for sure. And then we'll see in terms of fantasy upside, you know, how things play out. I could see Jalen Hurts if he ends up in the right spot, climbing up in super flex and two quarterback leagues due to his dual threat ability and his rushing ability for sure. If we take this to the running back position, since we last did a podcast here, there's been two major, major signings. First off, Todd Gurley, no longer a member of the Rams, signed a one-year deal after being cut by the Rams with the Atlanta Falcons. So let's first talk about that and all the ramifications of that. In Atlanta, what could Todd Gurley be? Well, Part of that's going to be dependent upon the draft. I still think the Falcons pick a running back on day two. I think they get one of those five guys that I've been talking about are going to go in the top 60 picks. So whether that's, you know, DeAndre Swift, whether that is J.K. Dobbins, whether that's Jonathan Taylor, whether that's Cam Akers or Clyde Weber-Tolaire, I think one of those guys could be a member of the Falcons by the time round two is over. And then him and... Uh, Todd Gurley could form a one-two duo this year. They see how uh, Todd Gurley's knee is. They see how he looks, and then they go from there. I don't think they're going to count on Todd Gurley to be a bell cow. You know, if he gets injured or misses time, they have Quadra Allison behind him. They have Ito Smith. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure those guys are going to be guys they want to rely on. You know, they they're running it back. 
They are a team that's still in win-now mode with Ryan and Julio. They brought back the coaching staff, the GM. Everybody stayed in place. So I think they're trying to win right now. So, you know, I look at this as a scenario where they might try to get the most out of Todd Gurley that they can, but I think they're going to compliment him and not go into the year with a lot of uncertainty behind Todd Gurley. And I think Todd Gurley could still be a very productive NFL back, could still be an RB2 in fantasy, still put up double-digit touchdowns. I think, though, he needs to be in that 14 to 16, give or take, touches a week. You know, maybe 13 to 15 carries, a couple receptions, and be another guy be there. So if they were to invest in one of these running backs, I think you would talk about maybe total getting these guys, you know, 25 to 28 touches, whether it's running and and re- receiving in the game. Like, you know, they draft a guy like Clyde over Tiller or Cam Akers. You can try to say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna hope that we can get Todd Gurley 13 to 15 carries a week. We're gonna hope that the rookie we can get, you know, somewhere between eight and twelve rushes a week. And then we're, you know, and then we're hoping that, you know, those guys combined maybe get five or six receptions. I think that would be a perfect scenario if you're trying to draw it up and and they're winning and, and all that stuff. They're, you know, and they're not playing too far from behind that they're totally in pass mode. I think that would be the the ideal setup. So I'm intrigued by Gurley. I wouldn't be aggressively buying him because I think the writing's on the wall that there are a lot of teams concerned about the knee. I think the Rams very much concerned about the knee. So, but I do think Atlanta is a great landing spot. And if they don't invest in a running back on day two and they just get somebody on day three, whether it's Zach Moss or Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, or Michael P. Ryan, somebody like that, then I think Todd Gurley is going to get every opportunity to get a significant workload, maybe even more than I think suits him right now. He might be in that 17 to 20 range. And if that's the case, they might say, you know what, we're going to try to get one year out of him. We're going to push him and see what happens. I don't think it's the best plan, but I could see them doing that. So I think Todd Gurley is an RB2. I think he, depending on if they invest in a guy in round two uh, or on day two of the draft, he could even be a, round, a good round for revalue in redraft leagues as a strong RB2 in that offense. He's going to get a lot of opportunities to score touchdowns. Matt Ryan checks down the ball to his running backs a lot. We've seen Devontae Freeman have very good you know, pass catching years as well. So I think it's a good landing spot. The other ramification of that is what happens with the Rams. I was a big Darrell Henderson fan last year. In a lot of leagues, you know, I had Todd Gurley in one league. I made an aggressive move to make sure I got Darrell Henderson. I was more excited about Darrell Henderson's landing spot than David Montgomery. You know, I I thought he should have been a top six or top eight rookie pick. I truly believe that because I saw this writing on the wall. I thought last year very much had a chance to be Todd Gurley's last season in the Rams. I thought maybe two years, but I still was willing to invest in it. Now, a lot of things have changed. The Rams offense isn't that juggernaut that it was, you know, not so long ago. So, I don't think this is an ideal landing spot. I still like the scheme that Sean McAvey runs. They spread it out, open a lot of rushing lanes, but their offensive line is not what it used to be. Their productivity in terms of the passing game, not what it used to be. Jared Goff took a big step back last year. Brandon Cooks was non-existent. They're still talking that they might try to trade him. But I do think... I don't believe they're going to invest in another second round pick at the, at the running back position. They have too many holes on their roster right now to replenish that they just used a day two pick on a running back last year. They seem to be content with Malcolm Brown. I think maybe a day three pick on a running back. Sure. Maybe they sign a, another veteran at a later date. Sure. But I think they go into this year and I think it's Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown and then maybe a late round 
debris rookie or another veteran free agent on the cheap, whether that's Devontae Freeman or Carlos Hyde. But if it is Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown, I'm excited of Darrell Henderson. I think he could be an RB2 this year with upside. I think if you get him in that 15 to 17 touch range, he could be a productive player with some big play upside. He can catch the football. Listen, Malcolm Brown might be some of the guy who steals some goal line looks for sure. You know, I could see it being a 60-40 Darrell Henderson to Malcolm Brown. But even if it's a 60-40, I think Darrell Henderson could be could provide RB2 value with some really big splash weeks. So I'd be intrigued by him. After the five running backs are taken off the board in rookie drafts, I'd be aggressively then trying to get Darrell Henderson, provided that those one of those five running backs didn't land with the Rams. And I think you can make the case that all five of those rookie running backs are not going to be set up as good as Darrell Henderson. So once the draft's over, I wouldn't even be surprised if, if Darrell Henderson has more value than some of those five rookies that I keep talking about the running back position that I think are going to be, you know, top 60, top 64 picks, whatever you want to say, top two rounds in the NFL draft. So I think, I think Darrell Henderson would be a guy that I'd want to buy. I guess I would want to let it play out a little bit and make sure that the Rams don't invest another day two pick. I find it hard to believe they're going to invest another premium resource on a running back after they just saw what happened with Gurley and taking Darrell Henderson last year, but it's a wait and see approach. The other big signing in terms of the running back position since we last spoke was Melvin Gordon to Denver. Two years, $60 million, I believe. Uh, I believe 13 of that was guaranteed. So pretty strong. I think you put him in like the top seven or eight in terms of yearly salaries for the running back position. Obviously a short-term deal, which is probably good. You know, Melvin Gordon, you know, running backs, you know, aren't really long-term investments anymore. We have seen that repeatedly over and over. The fallback from this, though, is twofold. Let's start with his former team for a second, the Los Angeles Chargers. I think now it puts them either in one of two scenarios. Either they go out and look to get a guy, like I mentioned, a veteran like a Carlos Hyde or Devontae Freeman to compliment Austin Eckler, or they could be in the market as early as day two for another running back to pair with Austin Eckler. Or if not day two, I could see them aggressively looking at the board, identifying a running back that's available in round four, who they think complements Austin Eckler well. A guy who maybe has got a, a little bit more of a uh, build for interior running, more power runner, more of a short yardage, goal line type runner, a guy who could you know really complement Austin Eckler well. So I think Austin Eckler is going to be a rock solid RB2 if they don't do a much of an investment, maybe an RB1, but I am a little bit concerned without Phillip Rivers being there, how much Tyrod Taylor, if he's the quarterback for a portion of the year or then a rookie down the line, utilizes the running back. So I think it's not as much of a lock as we saw last year with how many touches and receptions Austin Eckler got on top of his running ability. They did improve the line. So I think that'll help in that regards. So I would go into the year thinking Austin Eckler is a good RB2 or a very good RB2, especially in PPR leagues. I wouldn't want to overvalue him just yet because you do got to take into account the quarterback change, Tyrod Taylor potentially being the guy or a rookie down the line. And you also got to wait it out and see what type of investment they do to complement him you know because if it's a day two pick that's going to hurt Austin Eckler's value for sure if it's a day three pick I think Austin Eckler's value will be just fine as an RB2 in terms of the Broncos there's a lot of people that seem to be really worried about Melvin Gordon's value I'm not one of those people I think Royce Freeman is very much now on the outs. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade him for day three pick I wouldn't be surprised if they 
might even move on from him for a round five or round six pick. I think he might be had for that. Even if he's not, I think he's going to be the distant third on this depth chart, and he is not going to get a lot of use unless there's an injury. I don't think it's going to be a three-headed you know, timeshare or committee. The way I look at this is Melvin Gordon's coming in is going to be the starter. He's the most complete, most balanced of the back. You know, I know people want Philip Lindsay to be this really good pass catching running back, and I think he could, but he's never really shown that yet, you know, at the NFL level. And Melvin Gordon is a pretty productive receiver in his own right. I think Melvin Gordon's probably going to handle 60% or 65% of the running back touches in terms of rushes and receptions. And I think he's going to be the clear cut running back inside the five, inside the 10 yard line. So he's going to easily be the one that accumulates the most touchdowns. So I think the days of Melvin Gordon being an RB1 are gone. Those days are not coming back. What I do think he is, is I think very much he could be a still a good to very good RB2. I think that's where people have to have realistic expectations for him. Don't put him in the top 10 or top 12. But if you tell me he's somewhere in the RB2 mix from running back 13 to running back 20, I think that's where he should be appropriately valued. I think he'll have some RB1 weeks, obviously based on touchdowns, but I think he's going to be I think he's going to have a good year there. I think I think he's set up there and I think Philip Lindsay will be in that 35% workload 35% give or take you know Gordon in that 60 to 65 and then you know whoever the third running back is whether it's a little bit for Freeman or somebody else uh I think Philip Lindsay is going to be like the Austin Eckler to Melvin Gordon maybe not this year but maybe like in the past I think he's going to be that guy who's going to be that change of pace going to catch some passes you know I could see Philip Lindsay still getting nine to ten touches a game you know so he'll have some value as an RB4 maybe but I think Melvin Gordon is going to see 16 to 17 touches a game. And if he sees 16 to 17 touches a game, I think very much he could still be a good RB2. So that's kind of what I think about that. I'll be intrigued if Royce Freeman gets traded to somewhere and maybe, you know, be a part of a committee, you know, get that 40% type timeshare. You know, it might improve his value, you know, in terms of, you know, an RB3 slash four, depending on what else is there. I guess that's kind of similar to what maybe he was last year uh, with Philip Lindsay. So it might not be stock up, but it might not be uh, the, the stock down that people currently look at him right now, buried on the depth chart in Denver, if he does get traded. In terms of other running back news, I mentioned the veterans already. We're still waiting on what happens with, you know, Devontae Freeman, Carlos Hyde, Lamar Miller. I don't envision a scenario where those guys have a lot of value this year without injuries. You know, probably not much. In terms of the draft and what I think, you know, this means moving forward, I talked a little bit about this on the last show, but I, I went a little bit further and went through. I think Miami could still be in the mix in round one. If not round one, I think definitely in round two. I think Tampa Bay could be very much in the mix in round two, uh, day two to get a running back to complement Ronald Jones and to add to that offense after they bolster the offensive line, you know, or the defense earlier in the draft. I think Atlanta still comes away, as I mentioned before, with a running back on day two, probably round two. 
I think Buffalo, you know, we heard some whispers that they were involved in the Melvin Gordon sweepstakes. Do they add a veteran like Carlos Hyde or Devontae Freeman? Or do they look to the draft? I wouldn't expect them to use their round two pick. But if there's a guy they like towards the, the back end of round three, I can see that. Or early in round four, I can see the Bills looking to get somebody to compliment Devin Singletary, which would then hinder Devin. If it's a top four round pick, I do think it takes a little bit of the luster off of Devin Singletary. It all just depends on you know, how high of a value it is in terms of draft capital. Because you also do got to be a little concerned about Josh Allen, you know, stealing a lot of touchdowns from Devin Singletary as well. And if it's a pass catching back and Devin Singletary's pass catching numbers go down, then I think you definitely got to be worried about him because then he's an early down runner who's not going to score a lot of touchdowns. So I think the Bills are a team to really follow closely because whether or not they invest in a running back in the first couple rounds could dictate how high Devin Singletary's value is. Strong RB2, mid-level RB2, low-level RB2, or high RB3, I think are all still very much uh, in the range of outcomes for Devin Singletary based on you know what happens in the drafts. I could see the Jets. I think this is probably going to be Le'Veon Bell's last year with the Jets. They wanted to get rid of him this year. So I could see the Jets on day two potentially looking at the running backs you know, in round two or round three if they really are high on any of those guys. Baltimore. Don't rule out Baltimore in round two or round three or the early part of round four looking for a running back. You know, Mark Ingram's getting up there in age. Obviously, the run game is something that they want to be a, a staple of their offense. You know, Justice Hill last year could be a guy that compliments someone well, but it, they might look to somebody in, in maybe not round two, but round three or round four that really goes well. And maybe they even fall in love with somebody in round two. You know, they don't have a lot of holes, so they could maybe invest in, in, in a little bit of a luxury there and have the heir apparent to Mark Ingram. And this year have Mark Ingram, the rookie and Justice Hill. And then after the year, move on from Mark Ingram and give it to the, the new rookie this year. And then Justice Hill to form their backfield. So I think Baltimore very much in the mix on day two. Keep a close eye on that one. Tennessee, we've talked about them. I think they could take a running back in round two or round three and run Derrick Henry this last year. A lot of high mileage, run him again, and then move on from him. I think Jacksonville, they're going to have to make a decision sooner rather than later on Leonard Fournette. And I'm not sure they're sold on Leonard Fournette for the long term and are going to look to give him some long-term extension. So do they think about a running back? You maybe you know, in round three, let's say, or early round four to add to the mix. So I think they're a team that that you need to have on the running back radar. KC, we talk about them a lot, whether it's round one, round two, round three. I think you could see them in any of those three rounds possibly invest in a running back to shake things up. I already mentioned the Chargers. I'd expect them to get a running back you know, in the first four rounds, if they don't sign a veteran to compliment Austin Eckler, uh, the Giants on day three, probably not round four, but they have a bunch of picks towards a, on day three at a draft. I can see round five, six or seven, the Giants potentially drafting a running back to compliment Saquon Barkley. You know, they got to start thinking long term about Saquon Barkley and, you know, maintain his mileage at a, at a respectable level. If they're hoping that they get another full second contract out of him and he's still a productive player, seven, eight, nine years into his career, uh, they have to get somebody else that could aid in that running game as well. I think the lions could be in the mix on day two or the early part of day three. Carry on Johnson has struggled to stay healthy at the NFL level. So I think the, the lions are no team to watch closely. And I already talked about the Rams. I don't think day two, I would think more of day three. 
if we turn this to the pass catchers, not a lot of note. Uh, I think the biggest news since we were last on air is Eric Ebron signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like the landing spot. I think, you know, if Ben Roethlisberger is the quarterback, I think Ebron very much could flirt with, you know, mid to uh, low Q, uh, tight end one numbers, you know, in that tight end seven to tight end 12 range, if not a really strong tight end two. So I think that is something that... I'll be following closely, Eric Ebron. And then, you know, the draft is not very really strong this year. You know, guys, I think no one, sh- no tight end should be taken until round three, but I'm sure Cole Komet probably goes on round two. Maybe Adam Troutman. I think they're more round three guys. And then honestly, I think everyone else should just wait to date three. But teams that I'd be interested to see if they get a tight end in the top 104 picks, which I say top 104, because I think that's the first three rounds this year. The Cardinals, I know they're going to play a lot of four wide, but do they look to upgrade the tight end position? I know the Bears have Trey Burden and then they gave Jimmy Graham that money. But I still think they very much need a tight end. You know, I think Nick Foles utilizes the tight end, you know, if he's the starter there. The Redskins, you know, they have to find someone to fill the void that Jordan Reed, you know, has left behind due to all his injuries and then moving on. The Patriots need someone. So those are four teams I think it'd be interesting to see what they do at the tight end position. And to close out the show today, the wide receiver position, there has been almost no movement at the wide receiver position in the early part of free agency. The only big significant move since I was last on air was Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints. I think he brings more in terms of real life value than fantasy value. I think in terms of fantasy value, maybe he's a wide receiver four with some wide receiver three weeks in there. Obviously, Michael Thomas gets a high, high target share. Alvin Kamara gets a lot out of the backfield. Drew Brees kind of sprinkles it around amongst those other receivers that whoever it is that are there. So I think Emmanuel Sanders maybe, you know, could have some nice weeks, but at best he's a wide receiver at three. I'd be more confident in him as a wide receiver four. Still no movement on Robbie Anderson, who I think is the biggest name out there in terms of free agency that could provide fantasy value. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens with these running backs. So there it is, guys. The second episode of breaking down free agency in terms of the impact it has on the NFL draft and in terms of some dynasty values. Guys, hope you're enjoying these shows. Again, a a little bit of a welcome distraction from everything else that's going on. Uh, And again, I know I've been saying it a lot, but... You know, Matt and I really rely on the premium notebook sales to help us continue to do what we're doing. So if you're fans of the show, if, if you're fans of, of the, the work we put on the podcast, what we put out there on Twitter, you know, please consider purchasing the premium notebooks. If you purchased in the past, we hope that you would consider purchasing again. If you've been a longtime listener, but you haven't checked out the notebooks and, you know, $9.99 is something that's feasible right now for anybody, we hope that you would greatly consider uh, purchasing it just to help us continue to do what we're doing. Anything that we get from the seller of notebooks goes back into the show, goes back into getting whatever subscriptions that we need to be able to watch the film and and research the statistics that we do. Uh, The, you know, the website and the uh, server and all that stuff that, that, but that's what we really rely on uh, from those sales and the notebooks. We never really wanted to start a Patreon account and just ask you guys to donate money. We wanted to give you guys something back, and that's really what those notebooks are. So you can get over to the website, ssfootball.com is the quickest way, or you can type it out Saturday to number two, sundayfootball.com. Check out the premium content tab. Again, for $9.99, you get access to four notebooks. You get this the... 2020 scouting notebook immediately it has about a hundred 
detailed player profiles for the 2020 prospects, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, NFL role, uh, NFL draft projection, how they win, and this year, a newly edited fantasy spin. You also uh, get about 25 to 30 profiles on guys that we detailed before the the, the season, college football season started that we thought were going to come out. So guys like, you know, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, Chubba Hubbard, those type of guys as well. So there's another 25 or 30 of those profiles in there as well on separate tabs, not to be confused with the guys who are in the draft. You get the rankings notebook. It has all our draft eligible rankings. It has our tiers. I'm constantly updating them. It has our dynasty rookie rankings post-draft. It has our Debbie rankings. And then you still get two more additional notebooks, Matt is working on the freshman notebook sometime in April uh, that will drop and then also you get the draft projections notebook where I have tabs for every position offense and defense uh, their height their weight their any of their combine metrics and measurements some notes on the players to give you a snapshot of who they are how they win uh, a few things that maybe are some developmental areas or concerns uh, and then a tab projecting the, the first round projecting the first three rounds and projecting every pick in the draft in terms of what I'm hearing, reading, and listening to in terms of what I expect and how I expect it to go, nothing to do with my own personal feelings on these players and stuff. So please consider getting over there and purchasing it for $9.99. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to me or Matt on Twitter or the SS Football handle as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, please stay safe during these challenging times. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.